0: Welcome to the Sterling Foursquare Church Podcast. Our mission is to offer hope for the broken, lives that are thriving, the equipping of believers, and the launching of leaders. More info can be found at sterlingfoursquare.com. Thank you for joining us today. Well, last week I told you we were going to be done with our sermon series, uh, The Known God, and we're actually not going to be done. I'm going to continue that on for one more week. And I was really wrestling with that, because we had had a plan, right? And I like the movie Storks. You have a plan, you stick to the plan, and you always deliver. Uh, Some of you have watched that kid's movie, and the rest of you are like, this guy probably does watch a lot of kid's movies. But that is the case. Um, But I was, uh, I, I woke up on, I think, Tuesday or Wednesday night this week, and I felt like the Lord had put something on my heart and wrestled it out with our team, and we really discerned that it was something that we wanted to spend time on Today, because the series that we 've been in is called the known god and we 've been looking at the way that God reveals himself in a number of different ways uh, and makes himself known to us, makes himself accessible, invites us to know him and not just to know about him right not head knowledge but heart knowledge to experience him in our day to day to move our growing understanding of who God is into a day to day living it out with him uh, in in living a spirit-filled life. And in doing so, we looked at a number of different kind of theological lenses. We looked at natural theology. We looked at what's called revealed theology. We looked at uh, a Christology or a study of Jesus. We talked about a pneumatology, the way that the Holy Spirit is at work in our lives. And then last week, we kind of wrapped it up very practically, the idea that God reveals himself to an unbelieving world through the way that you and I love one another. And that was something that, uh, is, is, um, Reinforced in uh, Jesus's teaching in the Book of John, and then in uh, John's letters, First, Second, and Third John, and so we kind of wrapped it all up and we were ready to move on. But what I want to do is I want to help you if you are dealing with doubt, or if you're kind of learning new things and trying to make sense of how that works in your life, um, because there is a process that you and I go through when we are growing. So there are, there are growth processes, there are maturing processes that require us to kinda go through some stages of sense making. Um, one is learning, right? You, you learn something. And then sometimes as you grow and as you are exposed to a broader context of learning, you have to kinda unlearn some things. And then you relearn them kind of a little bit better. If you think about just even kinda se- sequential learning in school, like when, when you're little, like you learn the alphabet. But then you kind of learn that there's like capital and lowercase letters. There's not just one type of letter. And then there's cursive writing. I don't know if they teach that anymore, but I'm still fluent in that. So I've got a skill that's not marketable, but still a skill nonetheless. Um, like there, there's, you're, you're kind of moving through this process of you learn and then you kind of unlearn and kind of you move some things out. They're kind of like training wheels for your growth. And then you kind of relearn and you can kind of grow in a subject matter. And that process is really, really important. And unfortunately, when it comes to our faith, when it comes to our journey with Jesus, sometimes we don't see the value in that process or the, the process isn't something that we see all the way through and we end up kind of lost. In uh, the late 1930s, uh, 1940s, um, there was uh, a lot of evangelistic crusades that had begun. There was, there was kind of a move of God that was going on in that time that was uh, kind of following some specific type of evangelist. There was gatherings, and there was moves of God taking place. Um, and in uh, the kind of, again, late 1930s, 1940s, this was something that was the case. And in the uh, 1940s, there was an evangelistic crusade that was being done in Europe, uh, and it was like 1945, uh, around that time, and there was two like up-and-coming evangelists that there was kind of some buzz around and there was uh, some significant move of God that was being, uh, being done, and one you would recognize right away, and it was Billy Graham. So Billy Graham was beginning to kind of move into this more influential, even international type of evangelistic role. And there were, there were things that were moving, and God was, was doing some significant things. And in 1945, he was getting ready to be part of this uh, cr- evangelistic crusade that went through a tour of Europe. And he had a roommate, and his roommate was named Charles Templeton. And at the time, Charles Templeton was the one that everybody had their eye on. He was the one that everybody had kind of earmarked to be the one who was gonna be a a part of this tremendous move of God. There was this anticipation that he was gonna be somebody that God used to like change the world. And so Billy Graham and Charles Templeton ended up as roommates during this crusade, and they they struck up a friendship that they kept uh, going over uh, the, the next several years. And by 1948, so this is just three years later, their paths started to diverge. Uh, in 1948, Charles Templeton was considering going into the Princeton Theological Seminary. He really wanted to do some more deep academic work, but he was really starting to wrestle with his faith. And the way that it was reported is that uh, uh, he, he was beginning to, to wrestle with his faith. He was, he was trying to kind of make sense of following Jesus and, and his faith in God. And ultimately, he would publicly declare that he was no longer a believer, but that he was what would be called agnostic. That he had reasoned himself, that he had wandered himself to this idea that God kind of exists, I think, but I couldn't really know him. But really what it came down to is he didn't want to know any longer. And here's why. The, the thing that happened to him that caused this divergence. And there's, there's always something that happens in that. When we begin to move into a deconstruction of our faith, something has been an instigator of that. And for him, the deciding moment that diverged his path from the one that Billy Graham continued on, and you would know him as a significant uh, evangelist and person who, uh, significant ministry. The, the diverging path began for Charles over a magazine cover it wasn't academic it wasn't he went to princeton and they you know he, he was at a like a liberal school or something like that like it, it wasn't ultimately this academic pursuit what caused him to kind of begin to shake was a magazine cover and if you go and if you look at kind of what was going on during that time, there was a significant famine that was taking place in the continent of Africa. There was a drought and a famine, it was very severe, and the human suffering was becoming uh, photographically documented, it was being reported on, it was becoming accessible. And on the cover of Time Magazine was a woman in Africa on the very front page uh, in, in uh, agony. You could see just kind of the, uh, the emaciation, Like, there was an increased suffering that was being brought right before his eyes, and she was looking up at the sky, like, longing for rain to come and to relieve this drought and to relieve this famine. And that picture and that thought is what kind of started sending Charles careening off in a wrong direction. And here's what he couldn't reconcile. He knew that God was loving— He was convinced that God was good. He knew that God was in control. But he couldn't answer the question, why was there suffering? If God is loving, if God is good, if God's in control, if God can cause the rain to fall, then why wouldn't he? And that kind of that misalignment, that experience that was now in color in front of him, where it used to be we could just live in isolation about the problems in the world. And that's only become more pronounced for you and I, where every day we can know of every injustice and human suffering anywhere on the globe with just a click of a button now. This was a new thing for him, and he was wrestling out. Okay, what I'm experiencing is I'm seeing something that doesn't line up with what I believe about who God is and how I would believe him to be at work in the world. And that misalignment caused him to begin to deconstruct his faith but he never reconstructed it. It was an opportunity for growth. It was an opportunity for maturity. And instead, it became his experience that he kind of wandered away. What's really interesting is at the end of his life, I think he was 82, 83, something like that, towards the end of his life, somebody came and sat down and interviewed him. And kind of wanted to make sense of kind of where his journey kind of went in that direction. And how he ultimately got there. But they asked him a question at the end that was really interesting. They said, if Jesus was here. If he was in the room with me as I interviewed you. What would, what would your thoughts be? What would you say? And one of the most poignant statements that he made was this. I miss him. And he broke down emotionally and began to, to, to cry a little bit. And then he got himself composed and said enough of that and kind of redirected the thing on. And what you see, so what you see at the end of his life is this. He, he had an affection for Jesus. He had a longing for Jesus. He, he loved Jesus. But he could not reconcile what he saw and experienced with what he had already learned and believed to be true about God. And because he couldn't reconcile that, he ended up in a place where in many ways he was just kind of lost. And so what we're gonna talk about is I wanna talk about this morning, how do you reconcile those things for yourself? right? How do you reconcile moments and experiences in your life that are disappointing, where what you experience seems to suggest something that is not true about God, or suggest something that you wouldn't Suppose of him. For most of us, it starts with like a moment of uh, disappointment or doubt. What, what, what do we do with those? Because what happens is they begin to initiate a process of deconstruction where you are considering what you've learned and now you have to kind of take it apart and kind of make sense because this new experience or this new um, uh, this new knowledge or kind of this new thing that has been introduced in your life and I, I want to suggest to you that when you have those moments and there's positive and negative ones I'll touch on that this morning it's not always trauma but when you have those moments it's an invitation and it's an opportunity for you to grow and mature in your faith it's an opportunity for you to grow and mature in your relationship with Jesus and if you will go through the process if you will go through the process, you will come out on the other side, a more mature man of God or woman of God as a result. You'll have a deeper, more meaningful relationship with God because you've grown and because you've learned. And that's the danger with a deconstruction process. It's, a gr- it's the danger of a growth process or a maturing process is many people have a tendency to once they begin the process, they don't see it to completion they end up kind of lost in in a sense. I've had a lot of friends who have gone into theological study and as they began their study, there's this broadening questioning of kind of what is, and there's this deconstruction of what's taking place. And if you don't keep your feet on Jesus, and if you don't kind of keep a narrow compass heading, it can be easy to just kind of end up lost. And I've watched my friends argue themselves out of their own faith. But likewise, what's interesting is you can find time and time again individuals who have pursued courses of study, who have already uh, begun their processes of being opposed to the things of God, who have actually reasoned themselves into faith. Like, how does that happen? Because you've gone through a process and you've reconstructed on the other end. A lot of times a deconstructive process for you and I is gonna start with something negative or traumatic. Right, for a lot of believers, uh, a process begins when they've been hurt by the church. Church hurt causes a lot of people to begin to kind of question and uh, like, what does it really mean to follow God? Can, can you really know him? Right, I, I thought this was supposed to be a safe place I've been very candid with our church family over the years. My deepest wounds, my deepest emotional wounds that I've ever carried have all come at the hands of the church. Not necessarily you guys, right? So don't bear that burden yourself. But like my, my, my biggest challenges, my deepest wounds, the things that were the hardest hits to my own identity. They, it's, I grew up in the church. Like I'm a straight up church rat. All of my trauma has been caused by church people. And I love, man, I love the church. And I love church people because I've walked through those processes and I can reconcile those. There's a, there's a way to walk through those. The other thing that can happen though is you can have a new experience that you're like, I don't know what to do with that. We have people uh, o- often, this is their experience when they come to our church and maybe this is yours. where when they, they came to our church and they're just like, man, I'm just gonna check this out or maybe I'm gonna re-engage in this church thing Or maybe it's like, man, I've been out of it for a while, or I'm searching for something, and they've described it this way, when I came in to worship, something felt different. That there was something about their time in worship, their time in the presence of God, that was so palpable, it was so tangible, they were just like, what's going on here? Like There's times where you have an experience with God, whether it's corporately or whether it's privately, a moment in prayer or a, a place where the Lord would speak to you or a time where his word comes so alive, it's as if you're having a dialogue or a conversation with him and you're like, "Whoa, wait a minute, this is new. What, what do I do with that? And so all of these moments, whether they're positive experience-induced or whether they're kind of negative or traumatic, they're all an invitation to begin to try to make sense of what's going on. And if you're going to grow, if you're gonna mature, then you're gonna go through a process where you take what you've learned and you kinda deconstruct it and you unlearn and you kinda get the chaff and the extra stuff that's been added to it out of the way and then you relearn with more certainty what is true and you come out more mature on the other side. And so what we're going to do this morning is we're going to look at a passage of Scripture that gives us a good picture of how to do that, and then I'm going to give you a couple things that you can uh, use as a posture of learning. Because our desire would be, as a church, that you are learning and growing in your relationship with God, that in 50 years you say, man, I know Jesus deeper and better than I did 50 years prior. That should be your case and experience. If what you know about God today and what you've experienced up to this point in 20 years, 30 years, 50 years is still all you know and all you've experienced, then you've missed something. You should be growing in that. Go ahead and get your Bibles out. We'll be in Acts chapter 9. If you've got your uh, smartphone or tablet, go ahead and open up your Bible app. Lord, we ask that you would give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and a willing spirit to respond to your word today. Lord, give us a deep desire to learn and to grow into the men of God, the women of God that you've called each one of us to be. Lord, that we would be lifelong learners and we would be desiring to be mature, faithful in you. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to be looking at Acts chapter 9. If you're familiar with the book of Acts, Acts chapter 9 is a really, really significant one in kind of the life of the early church because the one of the main uh, antagonists against the church, one of the main oppressors from the church, is going to have a dramatic experience, and his life is going to change, and so is church history as a result. In Acts chapter 9, we bump back into Saul. You would know him later as the Apostle Paul. That's how we would kind of talk uh, about him, and so he had a couple different monikers, but Saul would have been his, um, his Hebrew name. And so Saul was somebody, if you uh, were paying attention to the book of Acts, he's introduced in chapter seven first. Uh, the church is being persecuted. There's a man named Stephen. He's the first martyr in scripture, the first follower of Jesus to be killed because he was a follower of Jesus. And when you read Acts chapter seven and you see that take place, Saul is mentioned there because he's part of the leadership that is approving of what has taken place. Paul was somebody who who was in that place and it wasn't enough for him to just see that happening in Jerusalem. He took it upon himself to kind of export this type of a persecution. And so in Acts chapter 9, starting in verse 1, it says this, Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples and he went to the high priest. He asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, that's the way that they were describing followers of Jesus at that time, whether men or women, that he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. And so this is how Saul is introduced into the narrative with kind of a a more active context. He's actively persecuting the church. He's somebody who has influence. He has power. He's been given authority. Later on, as you study the New Testament, and as you unpack even Paul's own letters, as he talks about himself, you would know that he was a Pharisee that he had studied under kind of the the quintessential Pharisee theologian of the time, a guy named Gamaliel. He was like a stellar student. He was like this up and coming leader. That Paul was somebody who had influence, he had authority, he had affluence, he had Roman citizenship. Like he he was it. He had risen to the pinnacle of success in his order of Judaism, and now he's moving to oppose followers of Jesus. And what you understand from Paul, from his background and from his study, here's some things that you would know are true. Number one is he knew the word of God. Like as a Pharisee and as one who studied under Gamaliel, he would have been like one of the experts in the law. Like he knew the word of God inside and out. He had a desire to know God and to serve God, that he was zealous and he was so pumped to honor God that anything that would dishonor God, he was ready to go meet with force to stamp out. Like he was sincere. He was learned. And he was wrong. But he doesn't know it yet. And so he's off on a mission. Verse 3, it says that as he neared Damascus, on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him, and he fell to the ground, and he heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Paul records this for himself later on, that this was his experience. So it's not just Luke's account here in the book of Acts. Like he has an experience that he cannot account for. What do you do with that? God, I love your word and I love you with all my heart and I will defend you against any and every expression of idolatry and so I'm gonna go stamp out this way. And then there's a flash of light and you're on your knees and you have this experience that you can't account for. See, this experience does not line up with what he knows about who God is and what God does. It doesn't line up with what he understands of the Old Testament, the law and the prophets. And he was an expert in all of those things. This experience does not line up with that. And now Paul has to deconstruct what he knows and try to make sense of this. When you read the rest of the story there, it says that uh, he is... He is um, uh, brought up and he's brought into the city that for three days that that flash of light that he is stricken blind and for three days he sits in actual darkness unable to see he doesn't eat he doesn't drink he just sits and for three days Paul is in this place where he's having to deconstruct what he has learned and try to make sense of what just happened in his life it's, it's a good picture of what happens when you and I have an experience that kind of challenges what we think that we know or what we believe that we know about God. And this, this is a positive one, right? Jesus showing up and saying, hey, uh, we're gonna do things a little bit different. Like this, we would say this is a positive thing. There's gonna be moments where you are interrupted by the Holy Spirit or where you uh, tangibly experience the presence of God and you're gonna be like, wait a minute, that's new. What am I, what am I gonna do with that? How am I gonna make sense with that? And so it causes kind of this deconstruction you start taking away what you have decided with concrete assurance is the only way to look at something and you kind of peel it back and the stuff that doesn't really pertain you leave that and you hold on to what's good. And so Paul goes through this process here and over those three days he just sits and he is is deconstructing what he knows. And in that time, God speaks to another man in that town through a dream, sends him to go pray for Paul. Paul is prayed for. His eyesight is restored. He has a physical healing. He's baptized in the power of the Holy Spirit, and he's baptized in water. All of that happens in a three-day span. And then Scripture records this in verse 19. It says, after that, uh, Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus, Right, so he's on his way to stamp this out. He has an experience that now he has to make sense of. And now instead of being in opposition, he joins the group. Spends three days being inter, uh, or several days being integrated into the body, integrated into the fellowship. And then look at what he does immediately. At once he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus, what, is the Son of God. Like you're talking about like a one week change here where with certainty he knew the word of God inside and out and he knew the person of God as deeply and richly as he thought he could understand and he has an experience that now he has to make sense of and inside of a week now he's out preaching that Jesus is the Messiah. And the reason why I share that with you is because the only thing that changed, listen to me, the only thing that changed was Paul. The word of God was still the word of God. The person, nature, character of God was still all the same. Jesus was still the Messiah, the coming King. All of those things were the same. Paul changed. He matured, he grew, and he had a deeper, richer, and actually a more truer understanding of who God was and how he was to be at work bringing redemption and salvation to the world. Paul would have had a, a, an idea of God's salvation and redemption from an Old Testament understanding, but he, he had to have a deconstruction and a reconstruction to make sense of this new experience. Paul was changed. And in that change, all, all of church history changed. And so for you and I, the, the encouragement, and then the, the practical things I'm going to give you, is to not shy away from those moments. See, sometimes we feel like if we have doubts, if we're disappointed in God, if we've got questions or things that are experiences in our life and somehow that they're unreconciled at this point, we feel like that suggests that we have little faith or no faith or there's something wrong with us. Can I tell you, if you're gonna grow, if you're gonna mature, you have to be curious, you have to be a learner. You have to unlearn some things that have been kind of brought into your understanding of who God is because they were placed there not by him and they're not good reflections of who he is, but they've been brought in by your tradition. They've been brought in by your religious experience. They've been brought in by your own hurts and your own pain. Some of the biggest hurdles that people have to overcome when they have uh, a, an issue with God as a father is because their own father was not a good father and they can't, they can't reconcile like God as a father when they don't have an experience of a good father. Like Those are very real things. But listen to me, God is not afraid of your curiosity. He's not threatened by your doubts. He's not somehow shaken by your uncertainty. In all of those things, he invites you to come and know him, to come and experience him, to come and use any and every of the lenses that we talked about in the prior weeks to, through his word and the leading of the Holy Spirit, to make sense of what you've experienced and to take away the stuff that doesn't need to be there anymore and to be relearning deeper truth about who he is. For you and I to grow into the men and women that God has created us to be, we have to go through these processes that are initiated by these types of disruptive moments. Some of them are positive, some of them are negative, but each one is an opportunity for you to learn and grow. And you've gotta learn, unlearn, and relearn. It's called deconstruction and reconstruction. And if you'll lean into the process, you come out with a greater certainty and a greater assurance on the other side. And if you don't, you can get lost like Charles who at the end of his life deeply loves Jesus, but feels really far from God because he could not reconcile what he believed about God and what he saw in the world. And there is a way to reconcile those things. It often creates an ability for you to hold truths in tension that are simultaneously both true. It moves you from black and white thinking to being able to hold tension in space there's a way to get there but this morning I want to give you three things that are helpful maybe give you one thing that you need to know to learn one thing that you need to be kind of learning or uh, doing to unlearn and then how to relearn okay so the first one is this learning requires willingness and curiosity right have you ever like tried to teach your kid to learn something and they just they're not having it do they learn it no do you learn anything? Maybe patience, but probably no, <laughs> right? Like you, you, can't, you can't force that to happen. And for you and I, if we're gonna learn, if we're gonna glow, grow, if we're gonna mature, if we're gonna sense make of an experience that's disruptive to our orientation of who God is and how we believe he's supposed to be at work, we have to have a heart that's willing to learn. Psalm 119, verses 9 through 12, the psalmist writes this. He says, how can a young man stay on the path of purity? How can, I, how can I keep myself on the straight and narrow? How can I keep going in the right direction? By living according to your word. Talked about this in our revealed theology message. I seek you with all my heart. I do not let, uh, do not let me stray from your commands. I have hidden your word in my heart. There's a priority for God's word. But then look at this, verse 12, it's so important. Praise be to you, Lord, teach me teach me your decrees. If you go and read this Psalm on your own this week, you'll find that statement, teach me, that cry, that invitation, a dozen times in that Psalm. 12 different times in that Psalm, the writer says, teach me, teach me, teach me, teach me. I love it, I wanna know it, I wanna know it more, teach me, teach me what to do with it, teach me how to apply it, teach me how to understand it, teach, 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 teach. There's another place where it it weds the idea of God, teach me to show me how to live it out with your Holy Spirit. And part of you and I learning and understanding and making sense of our experiences is getting back to where we're rooted on something solid like God's word and we're allowing the Holy Spirit to help us process it. Because again, remember, Paul knew the word of God, but his conclusion and application in the way that he was living his life was wrong. And he had a dramatic experience with the Lord that changed all of that. But we begin with that, with with learning, a willingness, a curiosity, unlearning. Unlearning requires this. It will require an openness to assessment. That's a nice way of saying you've gotta be open to the Holy Spirit calling out your blind spots and letting you know that you're wrong. In Psalm 139, verse one, it says, "'You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. There's this, this declaration that God knows us wholly and completely. If you read the rest of that psalm, it'll begin to talk about how he uh, has plans and purposes for you before you were born. That he knit you together in your mother's womb. That there was all of this stuff about you that he knew before you were even created or formed. And as you get to the end of the psalm, and as it closes out, there's like this prayer. And there's this invitation that says this, search me, God, and know me. Know my heart. Test me know my anxious thoughts like god god come and do an audit on my life assess me show me what's really true what's really going on here unlearning requires this it it requires a humility and a willingness to have things kind of taken out of your life And if we're not comfortable with that, if we think that somehow that that means that we don't have faith or we don't have certainty, like you'll balk at that and you won't change, you won't grow. You'll actually grow more self-sufficient. You'll kind of close in and you, you won't be able to move into anything new that God's doing in your life. I remember a gentleman at a church when I was a very young youth pastor we were bringing our, our youth worship team and, and we were able to, to lead worship. We called it Big Church. You guys are Big Church now. I get to be part of Big Church now. But we had our youth team coming in and we were leading worship for Big Church. And I remember one uh, one Sunday night after service, a gentleman who was on our church council came and just kind of cornered me and wanted to to talk me out of having a, a, a young man who was playing drums. He said, I don't know, I don't know why you have a." drums up there and i i was like lost i don't know if you would be maybe your experience would tell you where he's going but he said i don't think that you should have drums up there we shouldn't be using drums drums is the devil's music Uh, and i was confused you know psalm 160 tells (laughs) psalm 160 says praise the lord with and there's a whole litany of instruments that are listed there and says everything that has breath Praise the Lord. And I was just like, was just like hey, Psalm 160. And I said, and the timbrel there, the timbrel was a hand drum. Do you know what that is? And he was like, no, that's not what it means. And like, he, he couldn't hear it. Like he had grown up in a really conservative church where that was kind of the view. Not necessarily scriptural, it was certainly just stylistic and it was something that was held in some social platforms, but it was like he never was able to deconstruct that and make new sense. There was an unwillingness to learn or unlearn. It takes humility to say, hey, you know what, the way that I prefer it isn't really the way it has to be. It's just the way that I like it. But it's in humility and deference that we grow and then we make room for others to grow with us and around us. And then the last one, you've got a, you, learning requires a willingness and curiosity. Unlearning requires an openness to assessment. Relearning requires a desire to change a desire to change. And we often resist this. Sometimes because we don't want to change and we want things to stay the same. Sometimes it's because we're comfortable. Sometimes we're afraid that change means that somehow our faith is too little or we're losing our faith. And I tell you that that's not the case. God's not afraid of your questions, your doubt. He's not afraid of your process of deconstruction and reconstruction. In fact, he invites you to do that with him so that you come out with a deeper and stronger faith on the other side. There's a place in scripture where Jesus invites a little child to come and sit on his lap. He's teaching his disciples and those who are listening an object lesson. He's talking about being great in the kingdom of God. And then he goes from that idea of just being great to just even having access to it. And he has this little child come and sit on his lap and he tells those who are hearing, he says this, he says, unless you become like this little child, you will not see the kingdom of God. Now we think of that sometimes as like, okay, if I'm not a child, then I don't get to go to heaven. Like that's not what he's talking about there. But there's something about being childlike that gives us eyes to see and perceive and recognize the kingdom of God. And you'll hear people say this, that we need to have childlike faith. This idea of approaching through humility and curiosity. Children love to learn. Not always what we wanna teach them. Usually they learn our habits, right, from watching us parents. (laughs) Sometimes you've been outed at the grocery store because your kid said something that they heard you say. You're like, where'd you hear that? Must be your uncle or something else, right? Pass it on. Like they naturally, they want to learn. They're curious. Right? Toddler years, why, 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 why? Just because. So you and I are called to be childlike in that way. But I want to I say something, and you need to hear this. There is a difference between having childlike faith and having immature faith. A childlike faith will be a faith that wants to learn, is willing to unlearn, will relearn, has a grow. like I want to grow, I want to become, I want to go, and immature faith will resist that. I already know it. I'm going to seek out people who just know what I know, and we're all going to talk about what we know and about how other people don't know. There's a difference between childlike faith and mature faith or an immature faith. And the Lord's desire is that your childlike faith would grow you into maturity. Church family, if you would stand. Worship team, if you would come forward. We're going to take an opportunity to respond in a couple different ways this morning. I'm going to ask you to just consider a, a, a few questions here. We've been in this series. It's been a little bit capital T theological We've been kind of unpacking some big ideas. And before we exit, I just wanted to make sure that you had some things in your hands so that you wouldn't get lost as you make sense of your experiences, as you make sense of your relationship with the Lord. And we're gonna start with that. And my first question for you this morning, just to consider as we close, is, is what experiences have you had that have caused you to doubt or have challenged your thoughts about God? Like to think about those and to kind of bring those to the surface. Don't shy away from those. God's not afraid of your questions. He's not afraid of your doubts. He's not going to cast you out. And in fact, he would invite you into a dialogue with him. He would invite you to search his word and to allow his spirit to search your heart. And that you would come to resolutions on those. That you would come to uh, um, uh, conclusions on those things. You know, some of those things that may have caused doubt or challenge for you would be uh, difficulties. They're going to be traumatic experiences. It's going to be church hurt. It's going to be injustice that you see in the world. It's going to be stuff that when you see it and you recognize it, you're like, that's icky, that's wrong. And I just, I don't know how to reconcile that with God being in control or God being loving. Like you're going to have to wrestle those things out, but lean into that. Don't shy away from it move through the process and come out with certainty, come out with clarity. Childlike faith is simple, it's confident, it's assured, and it's unwavering as it learns. It's not a, it doesn't waver because it's learning, it's growing as it's learning. For some of you, it's gonna be you've experienced the moments of God's presence and you're not sure what to do with that there was a challenging scripture that you came upon and you hadn't read that or it hadn't hit you that way before and you're trying to sense make with that. Or you've seen a miraculous healing or a miraculous provision or you've contended for that and have not seen it yet. Like these are all moments for you to embrace as opportunities to grow and mature in knowing God. Lord, would you invite us into those moments, to those places, Lord, as my friends would bring to their hearts and minds attention, those experiences, those questions, those doubts that have kind of caused them to be in this place of needing to deconstruct what they think that they know in order to know with more clarity and more certainty the truth. Lord, would you give us courage to lean into that? Would you give us a certainty of our faith to go into that in a partnership with you that we would be honest with you and others and that we would move through processes of growth. Lord, teach us to learn, but also teach us to unlearn the things that are keeping us from deeper truths and certainties of you. Lord, give us a curiosity. Give us an openness to assessment. Give us a desire to change, that we would grow more and more into the women of God, the men of God that you've called us to be. Lord, that we would look back on our life and say, man, I know Jesus better today than I knew him back then. I've seen God be faithful more today than I had experienced back then. Lord, that there would be a deeper, growing certainty. A knowing of you, not just about you. In Jesus' name, amen. Action steps for you this week. There's three. If you snap a picture with your smartphone or tablet, you can hold on to that. Otherwise, you can catch these online later on. The first one is just to consider what experiences that you've had that have kind of caused you to doubt. Be honest about those. Bring those up. Begin to consider what do I need to learn or unlearn or relearn about God. Go into that process with Him and then respond with a childlike faith and receive and believe as He works in your heart.